If you're snacking on anything but tasty cake, you're making a huge Miss Cake. A fistful of chocolate-covered raisins? Miss Cake. A spoonful of peanut butter? Bigger Miss Cake. Or the worst Miss Cake of all, your kid's Halloween candy, and it's April. If it's not tasty cake, it's a Miss Cake, because nothing satisfies like a perfectly sweet butterscotch crimpet or rich and creamy chocolate peanut butter candy cake. Tasty Cake. Accept no substitute. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard.com Pop Shop Podcast. My name is Keith Caulfield, and I am the co-director of charts at Billboard. Joining me, as always, is the fabulous and splendiferous Katie Atkinson. Splendiferous. Hi, Splendiferous. Keith. Hi. Um, I didn't say what your title was. You're Billboard.com senior editor. Yeah, please say that. <laughs> I even make my husband introduce me as that. Do you? No, no. <laughs> Obviously not. <laughs> Damn, get terrible, it right. Terrible human. Um, well, we're back um, after <laughs> um, after a uh, special episode last week um, where we had um, – uh, it was like an all-interview episode um, because um, uh, we thought we'd do a special all-interview episode. And just you wait. We might have d- matched the star power Just this you week. wait. <laughs> um, uh, because uh, the Billboard Pop Shop podcast is your one-stop shop. For all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts, in addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the week's big pop news, fun chart stats and stories, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. On this week's show, we've got chart chat about Kings of Leon's first number one album on the Billboard 200 chart. Believe it or not, it's their first number one. Uh, Maroon 5's new top 10 hit on the Billboard Hot 100. How Lady Gaga is aiming for her fourth number one album and much more. Plus, we've got an interview with the one and only Bette Midler. Bette Midler. Bette Midler. The divine. The divine. The divine Bette Midler. Um, I spoke to Bette over the phone um, last week about... The new reissue of her debut album, uh, Working on the Voice, this past month with Blake Shelton. Her upcoming return to Broadway in Hello, Dolly. And of course, with Halloween around the corner, I had to ask about the enduring appeal of her movie Hocus Pocus, which you simply cannot avoid seeing uh, all over TV in October. That's true. That's true. Strangely enough, though, Katie has never seen Hocus like, Pocus. Are you going to out me right now? <laughs> she, Katie was glaring at me saying, mm, I'm like, I'm totally outing you. Sorry, Pop Shop. But yes, maybe I should go to ABC Family at any or Freeform, Freeform. now and watch it, you know, any night of the week for the next <laughs> yes, two weeks. Yes. <laughs> um, well, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to the show on iTunes so you won't miss a single episode. And... Give us a rating or review while you're at it. If you have any questions for us, feel free to tweet us at Keith underscore Caulfield or KT Atkinson. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit iTunes.com slash Billboard Podcast. You know what we failed to address in the past few weeks is how... I was just going to say, if you if you want to explore more podcasts, you can even find more Pop Shop podcasts specifically. Yeah. The, um, the, the Pop Shop family has grown in the past month, and... Uh, we uh, we kind of uh, didn't address that, weirdly enough. We just let you figure it out on your own. Yeah. If you subscribe <laughs> to us on iTunes and suddenly you've got these, all these other voices showing up in your library, um, those are the voices of some of our fellow staffers here at Billboard who have had their own uh, podcasts 
um, actually for a little while now, um, Joe Lynch has Must Hear Music, mm-hmm. and Chris Payne um, has the former Alt in Our Stars podcast, which is now called the Headliner podcast, and we brought them into the Pop Shop family. So if you enjoy um, this kind of vibe of people like me and Katie uh, talking to pop stars and music stars, then you'll probably enjoy Joe and Chris um, and their guests. Yes. Um, And if you subscribe to us on iTunes, you will get those shows automatically served to you. All of a sudden you get two more pop shops a week and you you learn about new music and you meet new, uh, you know, people via interviews and it's great. You get to meet new voices at Billboard. But we'll still be here on Tuesday. Yeah, we're still here on Tuesday. Bringing that hot chart chat. All that chart chat. uh, (laughs) And uh, guest interviews and and all that fun stuff. So you haven't gotten rid of us yet. (laughs) Um, That's a joke. We're not going anywhere. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so speaking of the chart chat, let's talk about the charts. Uh, Kings of Leon, their new album, Walls, uh, moved 77,000 equivalent album units in the week ending uh, October 20th, according to Nielsen Music. And that easily enables them to uh, debut at number one on the Billboard 200 chart. Surprisingly, um, it's the band's first number one album. Yeah. Um, I, I would imagine, you'd imagine, Katie, the average person listening might imagine, that they would have had a number one album already, certainly with the album Only by the Night, which had Use Somebody and Sex on Fire. Although, if you look back to that time, it was a slow burn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I the remember album didn't people. Start high. Yeah, and they were around even before that. I remember hearing them when I was in college. But then, uh, but Sex on Fire, you know, started slow burn, so to speak, Sex right. on Fire. And then use somebody just knocked out of the park, but it was long after the album had already been out. Yeah, I mean that that was I think this is Walls is their seventh album. Yeah, and so Only by the Night was I think their fourth album, and their first two albums I think didn't even reach the top ten. They're great though, by the way. Check them out. Um, you're, you're like they're great, by the way. <laughs> well, they really are. Yeah, no, I mean, well, they're they're they're, they're different. Like, they really are, they're period. different. I feel like they came, uh, they totally grew into this like kind of arena rock band. Yeah. But those are kind of smaller, smokier, bluesier kind of albums. Right. And they're totally worth checking out. Um, yeah, so if you've been sleeping on the Kings of Leon, mm-hmm. um, now's your chance. Well, you know they got the all-important Taylor Swift cosign in, during album release week. She Instagrammed. And she rarely, I mean, like, she'll tweet once in a while about a band. She Instagrammed about this album, was like, I'm loving this album. She's really good friends with... Caleb Followell's wife, uh, Lily Aldridge, who's a Victoria's Secret model. Oh. So there's a connection there. But I was like, going to say, like, that name sounds, oh, she's a model. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, so she she did a big Instagram follower, you know, or, sorry, post to her crazy amounts of Instagram followers to tell them to check this album out, and some what, of them might have. Is um, Caleb, Jacob's the lead singer, right? Caleb's the lead singer. Oh, and yeah. so Caleb, the lead singer of the band, mm-hmm. is... is married to a Victoria's Secret model who is best friends with... Uh, Taylor Swift. It just sounds so rock star like <laughs> that you're married to a Victoria's Secret model. It's right. It just works. It just works. It's a it's a cliche because it works. <laughs> um, well, um, yeah. So, anyways, you would have thought that only by the night the album that had those hits would have been a number one album, but it wasn't. So maybe you thought, okay, well, the next album would have gone to number one because you would have had all that goodwill coming in. Exactly. Good follow will. Like you know more than more. Yeah. Ayo. <laughs> Um, more than 2 million people bought that album in the U.S. It's their biggest selling album. And then you think they're all going to show up the first week for the next album. Right. Come around sundown in 2010. 
It debuted and peaked at number two. Mm. Okay, okay, what about the next one? Mechanical Bull mm-hmm. in 2013. Mm-hmm. Debuted and peaked at number two. Yeah. So a lot of this is like right time, right place. So Plus Taylor Swift. <laughs> Plus Taylor Swift. I'm sure her Instagram post had everything to everything. do with this. Um, well, Kings of Leon had to wait a little over 13 years for its first number one album, um, following their debut on the chart back on September 6th, 2003. Katie... Can you name some of the other acts just in 2016 alone that had to wait at least 10 years for their first number one? We've actually had quite a few this year, um, and those that are listening can play along at home. Um, There were one, two, three, four, five other acts that had to wait at least a decade since their chart debut on the Billboard 200 for their first number one album. Well, the first one that came into my mind... Was was that was that James Taylor album this year? Nope, that was last oh, year. Oh, okay. But that James was Taylor, yeah, that was one, his first right? number one. Um, I'll give you a hint. One of them just happened uh, like a week ago. Oh wow! Um, and it's a number one by so. some by someone who just a year ago you would have never thought. And I mean this in no oh Solange. Yeah, no slight to her, but I was like, yeah, Solange. She had to wait. Um, her de- she debuted on the chart February eighth, two thousand three. So she also had to wait 13 It's crazy years. to me that she's been around that long. Uh, yes. But, um, okay. So, so there's, Solange. There's one, and there's four more. Oh, wow. Um, and they're all kind of from uh, varying uh, genres of music. Tom Petty wasn't this year, was it? No. I'm I just, thinking like, of all these you? old ones. Yeah. Yeah. Please. So DJ Khaled. Oh, wow. Major key. Yep, yep, yep. Um, he debuted at number one um, sort of in late summer, and mm-hmm. his debut on the chart came in June of 2006. Okay. Um, Gwen Stefani. Oh. Uh, her album, This Is What the Truth Feels Like, debuted at number one this year. And her solo debut album arrived on the chart in December of 2004. Which you definitely would have thought that went to number one. Yeah. So many hits off that album. Again, Slow Burn. Yep. Um, Panic at the Disco, Death oh. of a Bachelor, their mm-hmm. first number one um, earlier this year. And their debut on the chart came in October of 2005. And then this one, uh, David Bowie. Blackstar. Oh, wow. He had his first number one album um, earlier this year, um, and he debuted on the Billboard 200 in April of 1972. Wow. Um, and, I mean, that one's sort of a weird one just because he passed away during the album's release week. Yes. Um, so would it have been number one had it not? But I'm like, mm, it, but I think it It actually counts. could have been. I remember it being buzzy even before that, yeah. but... So, yeah, mm. I mean, I think that's interesting. There's a lot, yeah. of, a lot of people have had to wait for their first number one. Yeah. Um, so anyway, there you go. Um, next week on the Billboard 200, while we're talking about it, Lady Gaga's Joanne, which came out last Friday, should debut at number one with perhaps around 150,000 equivalent album units. It will mark her fourth number one album uh, after Cheek to Cheek, which was her collaborative uh, jazz album uh, with Tony Bennett. And then her own solo albums, Art Pop and Born This Way. Ooh, there ain't no other way. <laughs> um, Katie, she's been uh, working the promo trail hard this past week. Absolutely. Uh, remind us of all of, or at least some of the highlights of, well, her, of her promo tour. Even just Monday, the, today, the day we're filming or taping the show, she did Howard Stern. Yeah. Um, and then last week, um, she did an extensive interview with Zane Lowe on Beats One Radio. That is the interview that he brought up Madonna. Oh, yeah, that did happen, didn't it, Keith? 
Yeah, that did happen. This was not a way just to get us to talk about it. But I mean, come on. Um, yeah, anyway, oh, in the inter- briefly, briefly, it was a very long interview, just all about sort of the, the, the where she's at. It was like 50 minutes long. It was long. Yeah. And it was just her and Zane. Yeah. Um, in a, like a sort of a thought provoking interview. Mm-hmm. And um, she was talking about, you know, kind of her upbringing and a strict father. And then Zane kind of takes it in this other direction saying, well, you know how that parallels Madonna, you know, Papa don't preach. And she came from a strict, you know, father background. Sensitive and, topic for, for Lady Gaga. Yeah. And she was just like, um, I wouldn't make that comparison. Yeah. And she kind of, and, and it was filmed so you could see her face. And she's like, I wouldn't make that comparison at all. And then I feel like what she should have done is say, well, Zane, I can see how you could make those comparisons because, you know, we both come from Italian families and our fathers were strict. And, you know, there there is some comparisons to, you know, perhaps some of our songs. But, you know, I really felt like with this, I was blah, 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 blah. And then sure. just go there. And instead, she was like, we're really different artists. Yeah. You know, you know I play a bunch of instruments and I write my own music and you know I'm not just like rehearsing for a show and blah 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 I'm like is Whoa. this Madonna doesn't write her own music and this was also I think the same day that Madonna was nominated for induction into the Songwriters Hall of Fame right I'm like mm, I don't know I think that it's a very sensitive topic it was totally Be- like an emotional oh, trigger yes, for her 100% and I feel like um, artists being compared to other artists even if, even if it's glowingly <laughs> it's just like ah. it is always like just like a really sensitive spot and, and it was so clearly like just she didn't want to go there yeah and she had a moment on twitter last week also with a fan saying that uh one of her that I, I can't remember which song she they mentioned but saying one of them sounded a lot like madonna and oh, she, and geez. she responded go read yourself a bedtime story uh... which i was like okay that's cute but still it's just like you you're poking the bear when you bring See, that up. I thought, you know, I thought things were okay between her and Madonna. I thought they had made up at that um, that fashion show somewhere. Well, like, they might like, have, but it's still like it's like not it's like not even about Madonna. It's about like making it seem like she's not her own unique right. individual artist. And that's what she said. She said because she kind of had this long response, and she said, "Look, you know, Madonna is like you know the greatest." pop star of all time or whatever and you know she's a nice lady i'm like even the way she's a nice lady i'm like "Eh." um but it's um she she basically the point of the what she was saying was like look i am me i am my own person i'm not like anyone else i'm like that's true none of us are like anyone else however at the end of the day you're a pop star and you're a musician and that you have there's a commonality that you have with a lot of other people and i just think that she probably could have just really nipped that in the bud and not addressed it and it, it reminds me of how when um what, what was the ta- what was a big taylor swift uh kerfuffle where she like uncharacteristically responded to someone um on twitter or like and it was just like wow why is taylor swift was it the Nicki minaj During, I was VMA? the vmas it was like, like girl you are usually so careful about responding why did you even go right. there yeah and then it just like did nothing but drama yeah I'm like uh <laughs> geez so anyway um so yeah she's been like she had beats one she did stern she was on snl yeah she's she's probably... we're like mark ronson is her personal guitarist now it's like oh there's just mark ronson playing guitar for you 
I don't know. I, which I loved. <laughs> I was like, oh, Mark Ronson. How was she on SNL? I didn't oh, I, see it. I loved it. It was, uh, it was, she's just such a show woman. Like, um, I heard she was just like, just even if you didn't necessarily love the song she performed, she's such a great performer. Yes. And, and that was totally true. Even when doing a ballad, um, million reasons, even when doing that, it's like, she's climbing all over the piano and you know, it just never stops. Like she's just always putting on a show. Hmm. So I was great. Um, well, you know, the album's first single, Perfect Illusion, uh, didn't quite set the world on fire. It peaked at number 15 on the Hot 100, but it, it quickly, rapidly fell off the chart. And actually, it fell off the chart uh, this week entirely. Um, I think the second single is Ayo. Yeah. Um, do you feel, um, after having digested some of the album, do you feel like this is a song that's going to turn around its fortunes at Top 40 Radio? I think it's a cool song, and I think it definitely more so kind of captures the sort of country-ish vibe of this album. Yeah, like, there is that, yeah. Kind of honky-tonky kind of thing. Yeah. Like, unlike Million Reasons is like sounds like a country ballad. Ayo is kind of like this weird country pop song. And I don't know that it's going to be, like, you know, any bigger of a hit than Perfect Illusion, but I do know the reception to it was really warm when it came out last week. It was very much people were like, oh, like, this is, like, the upbeat, dancey pop song we wanted from Gaga. Right. So um, maybe that will translate onto the charts. Hmm. TBD. Funny, like, you know, (laughs) I think, you know, it's interesting. Like, when artists put out stuff that is not um, conventionally easily digestible, um, the immediate reaction is like, "Ooh, what is this? Like, oh, this is not this is not easy on my ears. It's not kind of, like I would compare this to like you know when Justin Timberlake put out Can't Stop just, the Feeling.' Oh, see, I was thinking of Sexy Back when you were making this example because oh. I remember when that hit radio, it was like you could barely tell that it was Justin's voice. It was so like distorted, right. and the beat was real weird, and it's like, what is this? But it was like, what is this in like a really exciting way, not like a right, (laughs) right. So I mean, like I think it can go both ways. Like I think as an artist, you always want to make create these like new sounds or things that aren't on the radio right now. But that could really like you can either be breaking ground or you can just be alienating more people. It's it's that you have to it's you want to find that break new ground, turn out like a sound that is different different enough and new enough and unique enough but also at the same time like immediately embraced yeah where you just you've suddenly created your own lane yeah. so to speak and that's not that easy to do no. um you know and i can i can i vividly remember how when bad romance came out it was just like whoa this is so weird and different but oh my god this is like enormously yeah. huge yeah and it's just it's just that, she has the power to to create yes. that yes yeah um, well, so we'll probably see Gaga atop the Billboard 200 next week. Um, come back. Come back next week to mm-hmm. find out. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, over on the Hot 100 chart, Maroon 5's Don't Wanna Know, featuring Kendrick Lamar, uh, flies 56 to 9 Woo, on the Billboard Hot 100. Katie, how many top 10s does Maroon 5 now have? Can you guess? I mean, they have been around forever now. I mean, they've been around for... Uh, at least 15 years and consistently making hits and I'm just going to go with 20. <laughs> well, that's that's the bit optimistic. Okay, let's go with uh, 10. 12. <laughs> okay, this is right their, there in the center. <laughs> this is their 12th, uh, 12th top 10. Um, uh, they've also, I will quickly rattle them off. Okay. Um, this Love, mm-hmm. She Will Be Loved, Makes Me Wonder, which was their first number one. 
Moves Like Jagger, uh, featuring Christina Aguilera, and uh, their second number one. Payphone, featuring Wiz Khalifa. One More Night was a number one hit as well. Daylight, Love Somebody, Maps, Animals, Sugar, and Don't Want to Know. Yeah, that um, was a lot of hits. That's a lot of hits. I Do hear. you remember that Rihanna song that they had? If I Never See Your Face Again? A little bit. Super, like, Prince, like, funky jam? Why it, isn't that on that list? Because it didn't go top ten. <laughs> That's it was so good, though. There you go. <laughs> um, well, um, notably, Kendrick Lamar is on the track, which is sort of the, you're like, wow, Kendrick Lamar in a Maroon 5 track? That's odd. Um, here are some of the folks that he's collaborated with, uh, collaborated with previously on Hot 100 Hits. Um, Beyonce, he worked with her on her song Freedom. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robin Thicke with Give It To You. Um, the Lonely Island, even, with uh, YOLO, which also happens to feature Maroon 5's Adam Levine. And, of course, Bad Blood, Taylor Swift's song, which I think that one was like, whoa, Kendrick Lamar on Bad Blood? Yeah. Where'd that come from? He gave from? him his first number one. Indeed. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Ooh, you know, what's, what also happened with Taylor Swift uh, this yeah, week? Yeah, it's a big day for Taylor. Uh, uh, hashtag 10 years of Taylor Swift, because she put out her debut album exactly 10 years ago, her self-titled debut. So everyone was celebrating it online, and it's kind of crazy that it's only been 10 years, really. <laughs> like, she's very young, but she's put out so much music and so many hits. So ten, 10 years is a long time. I guess so, yeah. A lot yeah. can happen in 10 years. There's a great interview on Billboard.com with Scott Borchetta, who is her like, label head. Swift? Oh, no, <laughs> sorry. Um, uh, with her, her label had the guy who signed her to Big Machine Records, and um, it is a really good Q and A. No, yeah. Um, well, also um, on the Hot 100 this week, the Chainsmokers are still number one. Still, you, you don't say. Yeah, <laughs> with <laughs> with Closer featuring Halsey. Um, crazily enough, uh, the, did I say it was tenth week? Did I say it's its tenth week yeah. at number one? One more time, it's its tenth week at number tenth one. Week. Tenth one zero tenth week. Um, crazily enough, the song's music video finally was released on Monday, the day that we were recording this, which means that the plays of the video on YouTube could help the track stick around at number one even longer. Yeah. Um, what did you make of the video, Katie? It's very um, sexy. It's very intimate. It's very intimate. A lot, a lot, a lot of touching and, and smooching. If you saw their VMA performance, where it was basically just Drew and Halsey getting real close to each other, Drew on, from uh, the Chainsmokers, yes, on on stage, then you know that uh, it's it's a little more of that. It's this time they just moved to a bed. They, so. <laughs> just, they thought they'd get horizontal. <laughs> Funny how that works. Um, well, that song is inescapable and uh, continues to be popular. Funny, like earlier this year, um, an- another song that had been number one for 10 weeks um, never had a music video made for it. Uh, Drake's One Dance. Yeah. Yeah. So this also, so speaking of another song with 10 weeks at number one, so we've had Closer. Drake's One Dance was number one for 10 weeks. And then also in the past year, the past 52 weeks, Adele's Hello was number one for 10 weeks. So... We've had three ten-week number ones Just dominating, yeah, the top of the chart, um, which is cool, but also at the same time, come on, you guys, give someone else a chance. Seriously, I there's mean, there's been a lot of songs that have been knocking at their door for the last ten weeks too. Yeah. Like yeah. uh, what was it, Cold Water with Justin Bieber, The Weeknd, Starboy. I mean, I think some of these songs still have a chance. Yeah. Like Starboy yeah. certainly does, and yeah. the Bruno Mars track Twenty Four oh, yeah. Karat Magic. I love that song so much, which is already in the top ten. Yeah. That that has a chance of going to number one. Um, Maroon 5 could go to number one. Maroon 5. Who knows? 
Um, well, I think uh, that's enough of the chart chat for the moment, um, because now it's time for our guest interview with Bette Midler. <laughs> oh, my God. Bette Midler. Bette Midler. Bette Midler. Maybe I'm the only one that's super excited about Oh, no. This. this is awesome. I mean, come on. The world is excited. Um, well, I spoke with the Billboard Hot 100 chart-topping icon herself last week via phone and couldn't have been more thrilled to speak with her. Um, we've truly been trying to get her on the show for the longest time, and uh, I was so happy that we could finally make it happen. Uh, we spoke to the three-time Grammy Award winner about the recent reissue of her 1972 debut album, The Divine Miss M, how she's headed to Broadway next year as the star of the revival of Hello, Dolly, her experience in working on The Voice as a mentor that's this past month, and what she thought of working alongside Coach Blake Shelton, and her amazing nonprofit organization, the New York Restoration Project. It's this great organization that um, plants trees, cleans up parks in New York, and has really revitalized so many public spaces in New York. And she founded it. That's um, awesome. Like, I think 20 years ago. And it's done such great work. And they're about to have their big Halloween uh, charity <laughs> shindig on the 28th. And, and I think tickets are probably sold out, but you could probably um, go to their website, nyrp.org, and uh, donate money and learn about the cause. And um, so in addition to all that, since Halloween is right around the corner, next week, in fact, uh, we had to ask Bet about the enduring popularity of her 1993 family film, Hocus Pocus, which is always popular around Halloween and on Freeform, the former ABC Family uh, Network. Uh, will we ever get a sequel to the movie? Why does Bette think the movie continues to find new fans each year? Well, she tells us all about that and more uh, in our chat with the incredible Bette Midler. So take it away, Bette. And the company just on Eve's Reveille. He's the boogie woogie bugle boy of Company B. It was some boogie woogie bugle boy of Company B. Welcome to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. Bette Midler, how are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It's a treat. This is my first <laughs> um, well, podcast for you. Uh, yes, it is. Well, we've been trying for a long time, and I'm thrilled that uh, you took time out of your crazy schedule to do this. You are knee-deep in workshops for Hello, Dolly! right now. How's it going? How are things going right now with all the it, preparation and pre-production? It's unbelievable. It's busy. I'm busy, yes. Uh but I've met wonderful people, and I've learned a lot, and I mean, it's just, I've got Finn, which I can't believe happened, and uh, I'm, I'm having, so far, so good. I'm having a great time. You know, the show starts previews on March 15th uh, next year at the Schubert in New York, and tickets are available now and selling like hotcakes. Um, I'm curious, you know, if, as you've been getting prepared for the show, is there anything that you've learned about yourself, you know, in the process, you know, going through this production process, because you've been on Broadway before, but, you know, this has got to be a whole new ball game for you. Well, I've never had a part this big on Broadway. I was in one Broadway show. I was in Fiddler on the Roof, and I didn't carry it. I was just one of the daughters, and uh, it was a completely different experience. This is like the whole, you know, this is a character that goes through the whole show, and it's her name is on the title. So... Um, I guess it's a different level of stress, but I haven't really felt it so far because we haven't really started the started the rehearsals. We're just doing, you know, preliminary, you know, measuring and 
and and getting fitted for shoes and 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 you know determining what the colors are going to be and talking about the set and I've learned a little bit of the dancing which is very interesting because I've never really danced like that. I mean I've always danced but I never danced I never did choreography, you know where you have to actually be with like 10 other people or 12 other people. I've never done that. So um, it's a very steep learning curve, but I must say it's great. I love to dance. Everyone should dance. <laughs> the weight just falls right off you. It's amazing. <laughs> um, well, your co-stars in the show are, you know, obviously fabulous. So I I look forward to seeing it next year. Hopefully I can make it to New York because I'm based in Los Angeles, so I hope to make that happen. Um, you know, you know, Carol Channing, of course, originated the role on Broadway and, she, of course, is fabulous. Uh, has she given you any, like, words of wisdom, sage advice as you prepare for the show? Well, I went to visit her in uh, Palm Desert, Rancho Mirage, um, the Palm Springs area, and she was so welcoming and so warm to me. Her son was there, and uh, some friends of hers were there, and we talked a lot about the, the process that, that they went through in order to put this to make this show. And they were actually on the road with it for a long, long time before they brought it into New York. In fact, they were creating it on the road. And uh, some of the stories were amazing. She she played it 7,000 times. She fell into the pit five times. <laughs> Nothing stops her. And she just, she, she shared with me the joy of it, you know, and the, you know, she went all around the world with it. She toured it, she toured it everywhere. And I think, you know, it is her signature and it was a little bit intimidating, but she said I was going to have a fine time. Not to give it a second thought. You know, many, many people played it and she herself said it's like a, it's like a dress that you loved and you're, you give it to your friend and they shorten the hem and they add some lace to the sleeves and suddenly it's a brand new dress. So I'm hoping that my, my dress is as, you know, as wonderful as hers. I've seen, I saw the last revival, uh, that she did, um, in, I think in the 90s. Uh, I saw it at the public library and I just, I thought she was absolutely stunning in it. And, and, uh, you could, you, she couldn't have a bigger fan than me, so I just hope that it, that I that I can I can fill her shoes. They're big shoes. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, you know, in addition to Hello Dolly, of course, you know, you just are well tomorrow. By the time people hear this, it'll already be out. But your debut album is being reissued in a deluxe, fabulous edition with a lot of extra material and some unreleased tracks. Um, whose idea was it to reissue the Divine Miss M, and, and how involved were you with the process of bringing it back uh, with all this fun stuff added? Well, the label called me. I have worked for uh, Rhino uh last uh, couple of records, and they are distributed through Warner Brothers. And I've known Warner Brothers since I was, you know, since I started recording because Atlantic was part of the Warner Group. So we know each other, and they gave me a uh, – they made some suggestions – they wanted me to do this or they wanted me to do that. And I, 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 they had asked me, they've been asking me for years to put this record out again. And I thought, well, that doesn't make any sense uh, because I, I figured everybody still had it. But, you know, with all the different technology and all the people throwing their LPs away, why, why? People throwing their LPs away and CD, now there's not even any CDs. I mean, so I finally decided, well, you know, it's almost 50 years. I mean, I don't even know if I'm going to make it to 50 years. Might as well put it out now. They were, you know, they said people will love it. They don't have it anymore. 
and it's this is the original way it sounded. I said, don't please do not remaster this so that it's incomprehensible. I want the same warm, warm analog sound that it had uh, when when we first put it out. And I and they said to me, we think you have stuff in the can. I said, I don't think you you do. I don't think there's a whole lot there. And they went back in, you know, to that dusty old bin where they keep all the the tapes. They don't even have machines to play that sort of thing anymore. They don't have the machines to play 16 and 24 uh, track machine uh, uh, tapes anymore. And there's like four machines in the whole world, something ridiculous like that. And the one gentleman that does it actually works a lot for Rhino because they do. The, this is one part of their stock and trade. You know, they do reissues. So they nagged me until I said, well, all right, because it's better now than never. So it's either now or never is what I basically said. And there you have it. And they, we did have some things. We had some demos. We had some that I'd totally forgotten about. We had some different um, takes and completely different mixes that I had complete. I had forgotten about altogether. You know, we had made uh, uh, Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy. We did in uh, Great Britain with uh, um, an English orchestra, an English band. With I think Barry was there. Barry was the conductor on that, and that mix was absolutely fantastic. And that became the single of Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy, and that kind of went straight to the top. And we also did uh, Superstar. We had an an alternative version of Superstar from that same show. And there was a couple, like I said, there's a couple of demos and um, that were just hanging around and a couple of alternative uh, friends. I'm friends, I'm not even, I'm not, I can't even believe I have yet another version of friends on this. (laughs) But, um, but there you have it, and I really yeah. love this record. It was I was so young, I was barely 28 years old, and I I think you hear it in my voice. I mean, it was a this young voice and the, this young spirit and uh, this real joy at finding myself in this fantastic situation, making a record at at, at this age, and being surrounded by some of the greatest studio musicians uh, that New York had to offer. And as well as my own band, the people that I had known and had been tra- traveling with for like uh, the last three or four years. So I think it's it's a it certainly was a landmark in my life. And um, I love the cover. You know, in those days we had big LPs that you could stare at. You know, you stared at the cover and then you'd read the liner notes and you just immerse yourself in all the, you know, in all the the text and the glory of the of the of the of the photo, photography or the or the artwork and i'd i'd like i wanted people to have this the same sense uh even though it's a much smaller package that the 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 sense that we used to have when we when we you know unwrapped a, a brand new album absolutely and when when you listen to the album now you know what do you what do you hear when you play it back do you hear a different person is it like a different time oh, and do. place for you I, yes, yeah. I do. I hear another person. I hear a whole other person. I hear a person that was, you know, sort of searching for for myself, searching for to express myself, the person that I was at the time. And I was also searching for a self. I was searching for a sound, you know. Um, I searched for that for a long time. And, I mean, I actually hit it the first time, but I wasn't satisfied, and I went looking for another sound. And that was a mistake. But I didn't have the, you know, I, I had very, I had strange guidance and, and I had strange, I had people around me who, you know, I couldn't really make, I wasn't really clear what they were, what, what they were saying. So a lot of this is, uh, a lot of my career is really kind of, 
you know, I don't want to say lurching, but in a funny way, I did lurch. It wasn't a straight straight path, you know. I was always looking for something, always, you know, trying to broaden my horizons or trying to get a new skill or trying to, you know, you know, hear another sound. So, you know, some of it's great, some of it's not so great. But what you do hear is a, a person who is really curious and really um, interested in, 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 in the world around her. And I think that's a good thing. I never think of you as the divine Miss Lurcher. So, you know, that's a good thing that you didn't go with that one instead. Um, you know, you, you talked. I don't think I would have sold any records. No. But Lurch, no. Lurch, now wait a second. Now Lurch was a big character. Let's not, let's not diss Lurch. He, Remember he, the Adam family? He's fine. Yes, of course. <laughs> he did. He, he did great. He was, yeah. He did great. Um, you know, you talk about how you found yourself and, you know, you, you kind of lurched along a little bit. And, you know, in this past month, you know, you mentored folks on The Voice. And I have to ask, what was that experience for you like working on The Voice and working with Blake and all those kids? Well, I have to say it was such a blast. It was so much fun. I was very I – w- I wasn't going to do it. I, I wasn't going to do it. And I was with a bunch of people, and some of them were actually my peers. And I said to a, a very well-known singer, I, I, I don't want to do the voice because what have I got to say to those kids? And he said to me, well, you, don't, you don't have to tell them what notes to sing. You tell them what it means to be a performer. You, you give them what you know. And I said, oh, because I didn't get it. You know, I thought you had to, like, do the runs and do the riffs and, like, you know, pick the song and this, that, and the other thing. And I realized that actually I do have a lot to say to those kids because – I love music, and I know they do too. And the, I think the voices on that show, the so- actual singers themselves, are some of the most beautiful voices I've, I've heard in, in, in public. They, they're, they're just extraordinary musicians. But what they don't have, the little piece that's often missing, not always, but often missing, is the, the ability to take the stage, you know, to grab the microphone and suddenly be riveting, like Elvis was, you know, or like Roy yeah. Orbison was, or like Dylan was. There's something about this, this making the audience need to see you, want to see you. That some sometimes they're they're veiled. These the performers are ve- they're behind a veil, and I just wanted to lift the veil for them to to, to to explain to them that there are techniques that you can use in order to show your your true charismatic self. Absolutely, I mean, and, and, that and of course Blake is. I'm sorry, you finish. I was going to say Blake is just a hoot. I mean, he's, first of all, this guy is a real star, and he is on a small screen, but I personally think, I, if I were his agent, I would get him on a big screen as fat, as quick as humanly possible. I think he probably can act. He's so photogenic. He's, you know, he's like a John Wayne type. They don't make those kind of movies anymore, but really, I mean, come on. So yeah. it was fun to be with in his presence. He's very charming, as I said, you know, incessantly. And um, he has a, he's really funny. Like has a great sense of humor, and I think the kids were. I think the things that he said were very meaningful to them. You know, I think he was to the point. He didn't mince words, but he was gentle too. He he never really uh, hurt anybody, and I think that's important. The thing I like about this show is that it has a it has a very it has a real sweetness at its core. It's not yeah. mean. It's not mean spirited. It's not vituperative. It's none of those those things. And I think that's for young singers. That's very. It's very important to be encouraging, as opposed to be being discouraging. You know. Yeah. So, there you have it. Um. You know, it, it's that time of year that, and 
people are asking you all the time, and I'm going to be one of about 5 million people that are asking you all about Hocus Pocus. Um, you know, and forgive me, forgive me. I know you're laughing and you're probably threatening to reach to the phone, but I watched it again the other night, no lie. I usually watch it every year around this time. What is it about this movie that you think has made it so beloved to so many people and it just continues to get more popular every year? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Well, you know, I'll tell okay. You've got the kids who are yeah. adorable and gorgeous. But then you have these three women who really I think that we were the three stooges. I really do. I think that we were I think that when people look at us they can't help but laugh because we were so ridiculous and we had so much chemistry together that they we are we're like we're in, we're like an inseparable trio people can't um but you don't they don't see that too much anymore they don't see hmm. that kind of female bonding we also had it we I had it with the with with um uh, um Diane Keaton and Goldie, but not in such yeah. a slapstick manner, you know, and you don't get to see women doing slapstick so much. So I think it was really, and it's genuinely funny, you know, and you can see that we're having a blast. So I think that's why they love it. I think, I think, you know, all the shackles were off, as Donald Trump likes to say, and we were, oh, well. we, we just, we, and we were like we were allowed to be as wild as we wanted to be, and that, and the script was really terrific. I have to say, and the director was terrific too. So, so it was a you know it was a perfect storm of fun. And you know, Sarah Jessica earlier this month uh, said that all of you are keen on doing a sequel if Disney ever decides to pick up the phone and make it happen. So I'm assuming I don't. Yeah. <laughs> For the There's life of me, I can't understand. I you know what we I send messages. Everyone sends messages. I, I don't get it. I really don't get it. I don't get it because it made, you know, it, it was a big success for them. Not at first, but it, as the years have gone on, it's gotten bigger and bigger. And uh, I don't get it. I kind of don't get it. I, I, yeah. I don't get it. Well, it's, but it's Bob Iger lives crazy. in my building. Bob, Bob well, Iger lives in my building, so maybe I'll kidnap him and ask him. I'll hold him for a knock on his door. Good grief. I, um, I think I should. Um, this this will be the last thing, and then I will let you go, and because it's about your um, New York restoration uh, project. Um, the Halloween charity gala is happening here just in a few days, uh, on yes. October 28th. Uh, you guys have this benefit every year to raise money for the organization. It does such great stuff for New York and public spaces, and you've planted more than a million trees, for Pete's sakes. You founded the organization back in 1995. Why is it that this this project is so near and dear to your heart? Well, I love nature. I think uh, I love the environment. I love people seeing people in nature, seeing people in parks, enjoying themselves. As my first mentor said, recreating, recreating. Recreate means to recreate. When you go into nature, you suddenly become yourself again. You, you, you know, your, your troubles fall away and you're suddenly, you know, you're, you're able to, to breathe. You know, here in New York, we live in, most of us live in really small apartments. You hear everyone yelling at each other. You hear the noise, the doors slamming. You hear the sirens. You know, it's stressful and it's, you know, it's, it's all brick and mortar and cement. It's a very hard city. All the all the surfaces are hard. So when you get into nature, it's all much softer. The trees are, you know, the leaves are gentle and the breeze is blowing and it's, 
you know, you just can take a breath. And I, I just feel like people need that in this city. And they don't want to go into places that are not safe or not clean. They want to be in a beautiful space. They don't want to be in an ugly space. And they don't really, most people don't really express that. But when you see them in a beautiful space, they behave differently. And they, they calm down and they're, and they, the smiles come on their faces. And that's what I like to be. I like to do I, for people. I like to see the kids having fun. And I like to see people barbecuing and playing dominoes and having, you know, just being in, in, in outside. It, it's been a great ride. It, it really has been. They've, the, the people have come forward for us and, Anyone who wants to donate can go to nyrp.org. It's a great organization, and most of the money goes to, to our programs. We educate kids. We teach them where their food comes from. They grow their own food. They cook their own food. And it's um, it's just we have 52 community gardens in this uh, city alone, and it's changed the face of so many neighborhoods, and I'm, I'm, I'm very, very proud of it. I think it's one of the great things people can do for themselves is to be in, a, in, in, in nature. Well, Bet, now I will let you go. This has been so lovely to uh, chat with you, and I appreciate you taking the time. I know you are in crazy promo mode right now, so thank you so much for taking a few minutes to talk with us. And um, it was just such a delight. It was such a delight to talk to you. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure, Keith. I hope I see you again. But you got to have friends. The feelings are so strong. You got to Thank you to the wonderful and fabulous Bette Midler. Uh, I w- before I talked to her last week, I was uh, uh, telling Katie, I'm like, I'm nervous. <laughs> I'm like, I don't normally get nervous talking to, like, doing interviews with celebrities. But um, occasionally, there's yeah. that one. And I yeah. think it was just like, I, I had just watched her. I literally in the past, like, in the, 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 the couple days leading up to when I talked to her, I had watched Big Business again. With her and Lily Tomlin, yes, um, where they play at t- uh, t- uh, uh, two pairs of twins separated at birth, switched, switched, you know, as it happens. <laughs> and I had watched Hocus Pocus a couple nights beforehand, um, not specifically because I knew I was going to talk to her. It was just more about like I wanted to enjoy Hocus Pocus. Yeah, and, I mean, and funny if you watch Big Business, it's almost like it's a metaphor for the election between Trump and Clinton. Um, okay. Uh, should we talk about this off pod? Or yeah, maybe, would you, maybe. Would you like to tell me your theory yeah, We'll talk about that later. You guys make up, you, you, tell us about, tweet us what you think if I'm wrong. And Fill in the blanks. We'll, we'll pick that up later. Um, well, now it's time for the chart stat of the week. Ooh. Um, and the chart stat of the week happens to be about Bette Midler. Yes. Um, well, so as we said, she's a three-time Grammy Award winner. And she's also a three-time Emmy Award winner. Uh, She's won a special Tony Award, and she's been nominated twice for an Academy Award for Best Actress um, in The Rose and in For the Boys. And get this, her films have grossed a total of over $750 million at the box office in the United States and in Canada. Um, She is a true triple threat yes she's uh she's a she's just a, she's a razzle dazzle entertainer yes um we talked about how we had Kristen chenoweth on a few weeks ago who's a razzle dazzle entertainer kind of gal yes. jazz hands i mean bet midler stage screen razzle dazzle the ultimate i mean she's singing bathhouses with barry manilow and then she she came out as a divine miss Zen. uh anyway um well katie i thought it'd be fun uh to whip up 
Bet's top five biggest Billboard Hot 100 hits. And uh, if you guys ever look at our stories on Billboard.com where we talk about, you know, the top ten hits of all time of so-and-so, we have this great methodology where we look at the Hot 100 and determine, based upon where a particular artist's songs have peaked on the chart, we have a methodology to do a shake and bake to figure out what are their top five biggest hits. Shake and bake. And it's not necessarily just based purely on where you peaked at on the chart. So like, you know, you could have a song that peaked at number, you know, four, and that may actually be a bigger hit than something that peaked at number three. Right. So, um, Katie. With that said. With that said, and you'll only hear this recap on this podcast. We did it especially for the show. Ooh. Um, what what might be her top five hits? All right. You don't, going, to, you don't have to name them in order. You can just name any of I'm the going five. going straight to Beaches. I'm going with Wind Beneath My Wings. That is her number two biggest hit. Okay, okay. And it is her only number one hit on the Billboard Hot 100. You mentioned The Rose, which makes me wonder if The Rose is one of them. Indeed. Some say love. Some say love. It's is. number three. <laughs> number three on her top five biggest hits of all time. Okay, um... I'm thinking from a distance. From a distance is actually her number one hit. Yes! And it peaked at number two. Oh, wow. So, yeah, uh, her biggest hit of all time is actually a song that peaked at number two on the Hot 100. You're probably not going to get her fifth and fourth biggest I hits. I have one guess. Okay. But I've, otherwise, I've completely run dry. Right. Um, Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy. <sighs> that's, her number, that's her fourth biggest hit. Woo! Wow. That is my best quiz, Katie, yet. Although wow. there's one more to go. That was her, I believe that was her <laughs> first top ten hit. It peaked number eight back in 1973. Oh. It's from her debut album, The Divine Miss M. Amazing. And, so what um, are we missing? Number five. And it is also a song from her debut album. Okay. And um, I can just tell you what it is. Yes, I love that. <laughs> Do You Want to Dance? Oh, okay. Do You Want to Dance? Wasn't getting there. Was not getting there. Peaked to number 17 back in 1973 so um, her top five hits Do You Want to Dance Boogie Woogie Boogie Boy The Rose Wind Beneath My Wings and From a Distance Um, bonus can you guess what song blocked From a Distance from number one so give me the year Uh, 1990 it was towards the end of 1990 I believe like uh, I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston no but there is there is the phrase I love you in the title of the song like that I love you. No, that's that's way later. I was gonna say I love you always forever. Um, that beat to number two, by the way, Donna Lewis. That's I love what, you always forever. How do you know that off the top of your head? <laughs> uh, I love I'm you. I'm pretty sure it was number two. I love you. I don't. I don't know. Uh, it was Stevie B's "Because I Loved oh, You." It's not getting there. Uh, the Postman song. Oh, okay. Because I. So it was a movie song. It was not a movie song. No. Um. So yeah. There you go. There's your chart set of the week. Uh, Bette Midler's top five hits on the Billboard Hot 100. All right. That is all we've got for you this week. Uh, any parting words, Katie? Oh, man. I feel like that was just a, a great bet-tastic show, and I really enjoyed it. You bet. You, you betcha it was. <laughs> You, you, She'd like that joke. She, this, she, she. This is the best bet for podcasts ah, each week. You better believe it. No, boy. <laughs> uh, all right, what song should we go out on? We should just stop. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is there like a Halloween song we could go out on since this um, is our last show well, before Halloween? Well, we could go out on um, Bette Midler, maybe doing um, "I Put a Spell on You" from Hocus Pocus. Perfect. All right, we'll see you guys next week. Bye. I put a spell on you.